Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in hand, please, and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is our annual State of the Church address. We started doing this 10 or 12 years ago, and uh, we know we have guests in the building today, but uh, this message once a year is for our folks. And we want to talk about what the Lord is doing here at First Baptist Keller, what he believes, what we believe the Lord is putting on our heart uh, for the future. And so I thought it would be appropriate if we would start with the first ever state of the church, which is found in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 is a report of uh, what happened after the day of Pentecost. You know that Jesus had told his disciples to go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come in power. And that happened. And they went out and began to preach there in Jerusalem, led by the apostle Peter. And many people were converted. In fact, over 3,000 were saved and baptized in one day. And then they began to establish churches. And the scripture says this, verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I thought this would be a good starting point. You know, when I was in seminary, they taught us in preaching class to view every Sunday as an opportunity to serve a meal to the congregation. And uh, if you want to be a good chef, I'm, I'm looking at Luke over here. He's, he's a chef. Luke, I imagine they taught you, first of all, it has to have good nutritional value. You want to make sure you have a, a balanced meal. It needs to smell good. It needs to look good. It needs to be attractive. You may want people to want to consume it. Uh, and then there are certain times of year when you just serve a smorgasbord. <laughs> and that's what today is. I'm going to give you a smorgasbord of biblical truth rather than going deep in one particular passage. Uh, that same preaching professor I had said, had, you can do one of these sermons once a year if you apologize for it the next Sunday. <laughs> but I don't want to apologize uh, because this is the word of God. But the first thing we see here is that our purposes as a church are clearly defined in Acts 2.42. Just like 2,000 years ago, the church had clearly defined purposes. Number one, they met together to teach the apostles' doctrine. That's what we do, isn't it? Week by week, verse by verse, book by book through the Bible. According to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, we teach sound doctrine so that we're not like children on the waves of a sea blown here and there. We want to be stable and firm in a world that is uh, all the time assaulting us from every direction. And so we teach sound doctrine here. We attempt to. We provide fellowship and accountability to believers. This is the context in which we practice the many one another's of the Bible, to love one another and to serve one another, to forgive one another's transgressions against one another, to help bear one another's burdens. This is where we come together to practice the ordinances of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And when we do that, we are reminding one another of who we are. We're the redeemed of the Lord distinct and different than any group of people in the world. And we remind one another of whose we are, that we are the Lord's and he loves us. And that one day he's coming for his church. And we come together also to devote ourselves to prayer. Philippians 4, 
verse 5 and 6 tells us that we're to be anxious for nothing, but by encouragement, by the purpose of prayer, we're to make our need known to the Lord with thanksgiving. So our purposes are defined, and our mission is clear. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20 tells us what our mission is. Jesus, before that day of Pentecost, met with his disciples, and he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Our mission is to be disciple makers. It's not just to enjoy our relationship with the Lord, although that's very important. It's not to just wait on heaven, though we are anticipating heaven and glorification. It's to be disciple makers. That's our mission. And our ambition, our goal in that process is unchanged. It's to glorify God, isn't it? A few years ago when we established our six purpose statements during our vision committee, the very first of those six statements is soli deo gloria, everything for the glory of God. That is, whatever ministry opportunity comes our way, we want to run it through the lens of will this bring glory to God? And if the answer is no, we'll pass on it. But if the answer is yes, we'll do our best to glorify him through it. This is what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. We pray that our church would continue to be a light on the hill in this community, all for the glory of God. So our purposes are defined, our mission's clear. Our goal is not changed from last year, it's to bring glory to God. But I think we all have to be honest, in the last year or two, our faith has been tested. It's been tested on an individual level. It's been tested at a, a corporate level. And we should not be surprised by that if we read our Bibles regularly. We're told that uh, these testings and trials would come. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, said, count it all joy when they come. Why? Because they lead to our sanctification. We become more mature in the faith. Paul says this many places in, in his epistles as well. It grows us. It matures us. It strengthens us. It proves that our faith is of a sincere quality. And it has been tested. And so many of you have proven to be faithful. Faithful in so many ways. Number one, faithful in serving the people of our, this church and our community, our shut-ins, the nursing home ministry, through the worship arts, what a joy it was through the month of December to enjoy and celebrate the incarnation led by so many hundreds of people who serve in our worship arts ministries. Many of you are serving in children's ministry. Uh, many of you are serving our widows through the deacon's ministry. Our widow's garden was put in place last year and is going to grow exponentially in the year ahead. Many of you serve by working around the building on our work days, and thanks for all that you do. You've also been found faithful in your giving. I am happy to announce today that once again, as we said last year, this year was the greatest year of giving in the history of our church. And I'm thankful for your faithfulness. Thankful for your faithfulness in prayer. Your staff has sensed it more than ever over the last 18 months because uh, we have a great sense of, of need for prayer. 
We're thankful to all of you who encourage us by lifting us up in prayer and lifting your church family up in prayer. And I've been encouraged by your attendance. As you know, we went several months last year without meeting at all. And then in September of 2020, we started back in Sunday school. And this past August began the first full year of, of COVID. And, and I'm happy to uh, tell you that our attendance is growing back to where it was before. We're still only about 85% of our attendance pre-COVID. But several hundred people each week are watching by television. And I just want to encourage those of you who are at home and ill and unable to be here. We love you. We miss you, and we welcome you back when you're ready. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9 is a statement by the Apostle Paul concerning his own trials and tribulations and how he viewed them in the context of his life. And in verse 9, he says, We're persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed. And that's how I view this church and all of God's churches having gone through a season of pruning, and we're still going through it. But here's the wonderful thing about pruning if you're a gardener. Only pruned trees produce fruit. And if you'll prune trees and maintain them and focus your attention on bearing fruit, then you'll be very productive. And I believe that our greatest days of productivity as a church are ahead, partially owing to the pruning that we're going through now. So we've been tested. We're still being tested. And because of that, our strategies have been altered. Isn't God wonderful to alter our strategies? Proverbs 16:9 says, The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. It's not wrong to have strategies and plans. Again, Jesus' brother James said that uh, we can say we'll go to this city or that, conduct business here and there, if we have the attitude of what? If the Lord wills. And sometimes, to our surprise, it's not the Lord's will to fulfill the plans and strategies that we have made. As I read the New Testament, it's amazing how many times the Apostle Paul's plans were changed by circumstances and, and by the Lord. And yet, he kept on moving forward. He kept on going. If this door was shut, he went where the door was open. And that must be our MO as well, locally and abroad. And, and so we've... Uh, during the last two years, made some wonderful new, and I would say even surprising ministry relationships. As you know, our church voted last year to welcome Harvest Christian School onto our campus, and I would say it's been an unqualified success so far. What a joy it is to see uh, 250 young people in the building, Monday through Friday. And our staff has taken on the opportunity to lead all the chapel services there, so we have the opportunity to share the gospel with hundreds of kids every week that otherwise we would not. We have seen a growing relationship with our ethnic churches. And we have developed deeper relationships with those pastors and new training opportunities are emerging from that that will unroll in the next year. And in the area of missions, um, we've had to change things, haven't we, Brother Lawrence? There, there has been less going and smaller groups for years uh, the way we operated, we're large mission teams almost every month going out to different nations around the world. Many of those nations now have closed access, and even our own country has restrictions. So there's been less going, but more praying, and more giving, and more encouraging by other means. And many of those other means in include uh, better uses of technology. 
And uh, you know that I am the uh, last person on earth to endorse technology. But even I have seen the opportunity that lies in technology. And I want to thank our technology team, Rob Eisenman, and Gregory Baines, uh, Yvette Hunt, who's our graphics coordinator, and Gregory Rice, who works in our ID department. What a wonderful job they have done to make sure that we can still communicate with the church family and uh, communicate with our church planners and missionaries on the field and communicate to uh, the community at large, even when the building has had to be closed. Thank you. Uh, so things have changed in missions. They've also changed in day-to-day -day ministry. One of my great joys as a pastor is visiting in your homes and being there when you have surgeries and, and sickness and in the hospital. And much of that has had to change, as you know. In fact, uh, just last week, I got turned away from two hospitals uh, because uh, of, of the new restrictions that are now in, in place. And so there have been fewer personal visits, but more phone calls. Now, it's not the same as, as being together face-to-face. -to -face. I understand that. But aren't you glad to live in a time where we can still talk to one another at least? The Lord's been so gracious. And as we look at those trials, as we look at those changes and the amendments that we've had to make to ministry here, um, it just reminds me of one very important truth, and that our time is short. Our time is short as individuals. The Bible says that uh, we can expect to live three score and 10 years, and if by strength, 10 more. So that's uh, 70 on average and 80 if we're especially strong. And, and we know that's about right. There are few rare exceptions. This past weekend, one of my heroes in the faith who has uh, preached from this pulpit a number of times, Dr. Jack McGorman, died two days short of his 101st birthday. And we have a few hundred-year-olds in our church, but very few. And so it reminds us that our time is short. Many of you in the last 12 months have lost family members. Some your mom, your dad, some of your spouse. Some of you have lost children. All of us have, have lost friends. And we shouldn't waste those opportunities because they're reminders that our time is short and we don't have time to waste, do we? The Lord has given us a clear mission. He's given us clear purposes. He's given us one another in the context of the local church, and he expects us to be about his business until he calls us home, until he comes for his church. The Apostle Peter reflected, I think, quite often on that truth. As he was one of those who was present there on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended back into heaven, and the angels asked him, why are you looking up into heaven? <laughs> You've got work to do is the implication. And then they went to work. But Peter often, I think, reflected on the shortness of time and that one day he would give accountability to God. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, he was speaking of that coming judgment when the opportunity for repentance would be over. And in verse 11, he writes, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? He's speaking to Christians knowing that time is short and that we'll soon be with the Lord. He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. And that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. I hope as you watch the news and 
we see problem after problem in the world that your true focus is on heaven. That we are indeed looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So he says, verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and peace with him. And I take that to mean is that if this is the year that the Lord called you home, or this is the year that Christ comes for his church, that we would be ready for it. That we would not be ashamed. That we would not be unprepared. All of us sometimes in our married lives have gotten that ring at the doorbell or knock on the door that made us embarrassed because the house was in disorder or the kids were misbehaving or you're in the middle of a fight with your spouse. Peter says the Lord could come and he is coming. And so make every effort to be found ready, spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Our time is short. And that's a good thing, right? What have Christians been asking for for 2,000 years? Lord Jesus, come. And so I want to give you some encouragement today. Yes, our faith has been tested. And yes, our faith, our time is short. But don't forget, our God is sovereign. If there's ever a person in the Bible whose faith was tested, it was the man Job of the Old Testament. Had life by the coattails at one time. Had a beautiful family, beautiful farm, good health. And Satan requested of God that he take that all away from Job, believing that he would curse God. God allowed it, surprisingly. Took his family, took his property, took his health. And in Job chapter 42, two, Job didn't understand why God allowed all that to happen and by the way, I don't understand why God allows a lot of things to happen to you and to me. Don't have to, as long as we know this. Job says this to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I don't know of a better definition of God's sovereignty than that. God can do all things, and when he decides to do something, no one can stop him. And here's the wonderful truth. We know what God has purposed to do. That's what the Bible is all about. It is the revelation of God's purposes and plans. He's not left us in the dark, roaming about, bumping into one another. He has stated clearly in his word that his purpose is to glorify himself by saving redeeming and reconciling sinful people like us to himself by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is his eternal redemptive plan, and it is not hidden. And nothing and no one can stop that plan from becoming reality. Not Satan, not sickness or death or deprivation, not even our own sin can thwart the plans of God. And I would say not even coronavirus can thwart the plans of God. God is sovereign. Be encouraged today, brothers. And because of that glorious truth, I, I want to end today finally by one other statement. Our future is now. Our future as a church is not in the future. Our future is now. Hang in my office.
on the third floor in this building is a t-shirt that my mother had framed as a Christmas present for me a few years ago. She originally gave it to me as a gift in 1980. I was nine years old. The caption on the t-shirt simply reads, Mississippi State 6, Alabama 3. And it commemorated something that had happened earlier that year in 1980, which to this day is the greatest football victory in my alma mater's history. Alabama was not unsurprisingly, if you follow college football in 1980, ranked the number one team in the nation. Mississippi State, not surprisingly, if you follow college football, was not. <laughs> Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and Starkville, Mississippi are only 70 miles apart but they're worlds apart in football success. And our team always played hard and often close games with Alabama, but in my lifetime, we'd never beaten them. But 1980 was different. It was a defensive struggle all day long. Neither team could cross the goal line. And finally, with one minute left, Alabama had the ball on our one-yard line, about to go in and score and break our hearts yet again. Something amazing happened. Our defense stood up and for four straight downs stopped them and the game ended at the one foot line and we won. And I rejoiced and my mother bought a t-shirt that said Mississippi State 6, Alabama 3, but that's not all it said. The rest of the caption on the t-shirt reads, next year, next year is now. Because every year when we would play them a hard-fought game and lose by a small margin, when we were walking out of the stadium, someone was bound to say, we'll get them next year. But next year's now. And friends, I would say for First Baptist Church of Keller, for years we've been looking to the future. We've uh, known that we needed to get out of debt. And praise the Lord, three years ago we became debt-free. We've remained debt-free. We've known if we were going to continue to grow and to reach this community, uh, we needed more land for parking and future expansion. And that's what all these empty lots around are all about. For 35 years, faithful men and women, many of whom are now with the Lord, sacrificed and gave and had the vision so that we could minister the way we're ministering today. We've known that we needed to develop a, a master plan and work in conjunction with the city of Keller to make those dreams a reality. And, and we knew that overall we need to get in a better financial position. So when the day came to expand that um, we wouldn't put the next generation in a financial burden. And I'm here to announce to you that the day has come. January 30th, one month from now, put it on your calendar will be the day that uh, our Long Range Committee and Building and Grounds Committee will reveal the master plan for the over 20 acres that we have here at 225 Keller Parkway. And on that day, in addition to revealing the, the master plan for the future, there will be a recommendation for the next phase of our vision plan. You remember a few years ago when we adopted our vision plan, the first phase was to remodel the present facility. You're sitting in new pews and enjoying new lighting and listening over a brand new sound system. And I'm happy to say that we were able to do all of those projects without incurring any debt because of your faithfulness. And so on January the 30th, now we're ready to uh, recommend to you 
for your approval. After all, this is a church uh, that is congregational in model. And you'll have the opportunity to ask your questions. And I want to remind you of certain commitments that we've made as it relates to future growth and expansion and our vision plan in general. Number one, we pledge to only build for need. We're not going to build on speculation. We're not going to build grand buildings and say uh, people will come and fill those up one day. We're going to build for need. Secondly, we are committed to sound stewardship principles. And number one of those is to raise 50% of any cost of future expansion up front. A greater goal is to pay all of it by cash. But the minimum requirement is to raise 50% of any cost of any projects up front. And I'm happy to say, when our committees unveil their recommendation on January 30th, the money has already been accrued to pay for the next phase. Thirdly, and I think most excitingly to me at least, is that 10% of all receipts to our vision fund have been allocated to missions and church planting. And so on January 30th, in addition to hearing our master plan, you're also going to get to meet a young man by the name of Jason Harris, who is going to be our next, Lord willing, sponsored church planter in the state of Utah. And then, of course, uh, one of our stewardship principles is to minimize debt, meaning that we have set uh, parameters on how much debt that we can have at a healthy amount. And so uh, I'm excited about the future. Yes. Our, our faith has been tested. That's a good thing because we see that it's real and it's genuine. You continue to serve. You continue to give. You continue to practice your spiritual gifts. You continue to practice the one another's together. And I think if there's anything that I have seen progress in the life of our church in the last 18 months is our dependence on God through prayer. I see it. As I talk to you on the phone, as I visit you in the hallways, I hear it in the prayers of our deacons as they come lead us corporately. I hear it in the many prayer meetings I have with the staff and different ones in the church throughout the week. We sense a great dependence upon the Lord. We have great dreams. We have great aspirations about what the Lord might do through this church. But we also know it will only happen if the Lord wills it, which means we have to be incredibly discerning. We have to have listening ears as the Lord would lead us, and that requires, requires great wisdom. I began this sermon thanking you for your prayers and encouragement. Almost daily, someone calls me or emails me or comes by the office and asks me the same question. How can I pray for you? And I give the same answer every time. I'm going to give it today from the pulpit. Pray for wisdom. I'm not God. Our pastors are not God. We didn't see the COVID coming. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. We know God is sovereign. We know his purposes for the church are clear. We know that our mission is unchanged to make disciples. We know that our ambition is to bring glory to him in whatever we do. And we know our faith will be tested again. What I told my children about six months into this COVID when they were tired of being locked in, I said, cheer up, it's gonna get worse. 
I know that time is short. I know it's at least one year closer to the Lord's second coming than it was last year when I gave the Save the Church address. And I know that my own death is one year closer than it was last year. And here's a secret, so is yours. And I know we don't have time to waste. I know the future is now for First Baptist Church of Keller. And I know this more than I know anything else. The Lord is sovereign. He's still on his throne. He hasn't moved. And we need him desperately. Would you join me in prayer and confess some things to the Lord? Heavenly Father, we confess together that your word is true. That we are sinners. We're saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. We confess that your grace is greater than our sin. Father, we confess that even though we're born again, we continue to sin. And we confess our thanks to you for your exceeding great and precious promise that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to cleanse us from all sin. Keep on cleansing us, Father, we pray. Father, we confess that we are needy people. We have great spiritual needs in our congregation or we have marriages that need to be healed. We have relationships between wayward children and parents that need to be reconciled. Father, we have every need in the book. Father, so many of our people are sick. Many have cancer. Father, others have other devastating diseases. Father, I thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul, whose life was certainly not easy, that we are cast down, but we're not destroyed. We're not ultimately going to perish because we are in Christ. So, Father, you know our needs even before we ask. But thank you that you invite us to come with boldness into your presence day after day, making our needs known. Father, help us to live Philippians chapter 4, that indeed in the year ahead, no matter what comes, that we'd be anxious for nothing. But by supplication and prayer with thanksgiving, we'd make our needs known unto you, knowing your promises, the peace of God, which passes human comprehension, will stand guard over our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Father, we pray for wisdom. We need it. James tells us in his epistle, if anyone needs wisdom, let him ask you who gives to all men freely and upbraideth not. Lord, we have plans. We have aspirations. But Father, we know we're not God. We pray you'd not allow us to run ahead of your will nor lag behind it. Give us boldness, Father, to step out in faith where you're leading. Give us humility, Lord to be willing to change our plans if that's called for and if it's your will. And Father, the ambition of our life and as a church family is solely Deo Gloria, that in all things we would glorify you. And I pray these things in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.